be seated to take your copy of God's Word this morning, please, and find your place in 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to be in a lot of Scripture today, and I'm going to display the references for most of it, and so you can jot those references down. Uh, but the first large passage we'll find ourselves in is 2 Samuel chapter 13. And so if you want to find your spot there, 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you've been with us over the last several weeks and several studies, we've been looking at David's life, and you know by now uh, that he certainly was a flawed hero. Uh, he loved God, he worshipped God, he served God, he adored God, but he had feet of clay, and he stumbled, and he fell. And he failed. And last time that we were together, we looked at the grievous sin in his life in regards to David and Bathsheba. And that sin, if you remember, involved adultery and it also involved a murder uh, to try to cover up the adultery. And uh, at this point, we know that God has forgiven him, uh, but he had not removed all the consequences. And uh, some of the consequences of that, you know, he's the king, uh, he's God's man. Uh, but the, some of those consequences included grief for years to come. And uh, in fact, I, I read last time we were together, Second Samuel 12, 10 through 12, where it says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Why? Because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. We're going to see that today. Uh, I will take your wives, the Lord says to David, before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly. You did it behind the door. You did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And so we're going to cover a lot of ground today. And you might want to make some notes and some references as we go and see how that unfolds in David's life. And much of what we're going to study today involves David's own family. And let me tell you, if you think about dysfunctional families, you know, we talk about dysfunctional families. If you want to see an example of a dysfunctional family, please stay awake and stay alert and uh, pay attention over the next few minutes. You're going to see a prime example of a dysfunctional family. Now, David is king. Uh, he's a public official in the public's eye. Uh, but you know what, beloved? He was especially in the eyes of his own family. Family knows us. Uh, like nobody else, don't they? They understand exactly who we are and what we believe and what we think and how we act. And we can put on a show in front of a lot of people, but we get behind the closed door and family sees us. Uh, they know us for who we truly are. And uh, David's family knew him. Uh, when you think about uh, what we're going to study today, you ever heard the phrase, you've heard the saying, haven't you? Like father, like son. Everybody heard that saying, like father, like some, we understand what that means. We understand what that's like. And we're going to see that in regards to David's sons uh, as we study the Scripture today. Now, I'm just going to lay it out front for you right up front and let you know that one of David's greatest flaws, one of his greatest failures, beloved, beloved, is in regards to being a father. That's one of his greatest flaws and, and greatest failures. He was a failure as a father. And I think as we study his life in regards to his fatherhood, uh, there are some reasons that we find why he was indeed such a miserable failure when it uh, comes to being a father. And I want to lay out three of those reasons for you uh, here in the next few minutes 
And I pray that God will seal them to our hearts and use them in our lives to help us not to be a failure as a parent in these regards. And so as I study the Scripture, as I look at David's son and looked at his life and I looked at his family, I want you to notice, first of all, that there was a lack of purity. There was a lack of purity uh, when it comes to David's life in many regards. Now, this is obvious when you study the episode with Bathsheba. But in reality, his lack of purity did not start with Bathsheba. In fact, it goes back before that one night. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, verses 16 and 17, the Lord laid down some instructions, some commands, uh, some rules when it came to those who were going to serve as king. And in Deuteronomy 17, 16 and 17, here's what it says, But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said that you shall not return that way again. So don't multiply horses. And then it says in verse 17, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. <laughs> it says, Why? Lest his heart turn away. And it says, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And so God says, for my king, he's not to multiply horses. That is power and might and so forth, military strength. He's not to multiply wives and he's not to multiply money. Well, what about David? What about King David? Well, uh, what do we know about his wives? Well, we do know this. He had multiple wives. In fact, we know of eight of them by name in the scripture. We know of eight wives by name. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. You say, well, how many children did he have? He had at least eight wives by name and probably more than that. And, well, he had a lot of children too. In fact, we know of 19 sons that are named in the Bible. I mean, he could have had his own reality TV show before the, uh, the Duggars, any of that group, you know. Uh, he, he had this large family. Are you noticing an issue in David's life? He disobeys the Lord. He multiplies wives and concubines. And he falls in outright adultery with Bathsheba. There's a lack of purity. A lack of purity in his life. And beloved, please understand, uh, there's an outright example in his life to his children and all those that are watching of immorality and sensuality. Now, we know that David, he sins with Bathsheba. He finally repents. But I want you to see what happens in David's family and what happens in David's life. When you look at 2 Samuel, you're at 2 Samuel chapter 13, right? 2 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to begin reading at verse 1. After this, after this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. This is his half-sister now. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. So you have two of David's children here. Uh, she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And let me tell you, beloved, be careful who your friends are because they will lead you astray if you let them. You get the wrong kind of people around you. Uh, it's going to be trouble. And this friend, Jonadab, it says in verse 3, Jonadab was, a, Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. He was lovesick. He was love-stricken. 
Obviously losing weight here. So Jonadab, his friend, said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. He's a crafty friend. He's an evil friend. He's a bad friend. He's not a friend. But Amnon decides to follow his counsel. Verse 6. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his side and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And, and Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. And now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me. For no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I were, could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, verse 14, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than her, he forced her and lay with her. He raped her, verse 15. Then Amnon hated, this is interesting, I want you to watch the switch here. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love of which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone! So she said to him, No, indeed. This evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servants who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. I'm done with her. I've got my satisfaction. I don't want her anymore. Get rid of her. Verse 18 says she had on a robe of many colors. For the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head, tore her robe of many colors that was on her, and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. That was David's son, Amnon. Well, let's switch gears for a moment. He's got another son named Absalom. You may remember Absalom from studying days gone by. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 20 through 22, we find Absalom and what he does in his life. It says in verse 20 of 2 Samuel 16, then, and all these are on the screen in front of you. You want the reference. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, now I want you to watch this counsel. Remember, like father, like son. Children are watching. Verse 21 of 2 Samuel 16. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent from Absalom on top of the house. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Remember those verses I read to you as we started today? about within your own house, 
there's going to be all this turmoil. And he would take his own wives and, and, and do it openly. We have that here. And then we move from Amnon and Absalom to a man you may have heard of named Solomon. Remember Solomon? First Kings chapter 11. Now these are David's sons. These are David's children. First Kings chapter 11, 3 and 4. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. I have to laugh. I was discussing this with one of my sons this past week, and somehow it came up about Solomon. And my ongoing joke for years was talk about he had 700 wives and 300 porcupines. And uh, I was joking with one of my sons, and I have his permission to tell you this. He said, he said later, as we were talking, he said, well, wasn't it combines? <laughs> 300 combines. <laughs> no, it was concubine. <laughs> Y'all wish somebody would buy 300 combines. And his wives, so a thousand women. Y'all understand that. And his wives turned away his heart, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, false gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David, like father, like son. Amnon, Absalom, Solomon. David failed to provide an example of purity to his children. An example of purity to his sons. But there's another failure I want to talk to you about. Not only a lack of purity, there seems to also be a lack of discipline when it comes to David and his fathering. You, you remember the story I just told you about Amnon raping his sister, his half-sister Tamar, right? Well, I didn't read it, but do you remember David's response? Let me give you David's response. You'll find it in 2 Samuel 13 if you're still there, verses 20 and 21. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, now we know what Absalom ends up doing, but at this point, Absalom, her brother, says to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Verse 21 of 2 Samuel 13. But when David heard of all these things, he was what? Angry. He was angry. Now, here's the sad thing. He was angry about it, but he didn't do anything about it. He was angry, but he didn't do anything. He's the king. He's the father of these kids. Yet he does nothing. There's no discipline. Why? Well, maybe he felt guilty about his own life. Maybe he felt guilty about his own adultery. We don't know. But listen, beloved, to fail to discipline your child is not love. To fail to discipline your child is not love. It is cruel. It is wrong. And it will come back to haunt you. Please understand that. Some parent might say, oh, I love my child so much, I could never, ever punish them. I could ever, ever discipline them and make them cry. Well, listen, they'll either be crying now or you'll be crying later. Because it's cruel, it's wrong, it's evil not to discipline, to correct your child and help your child to know how to live their lives. And it's wrong. And the sad thing is it seems that's the way David lived. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Promptly. 
Proverbs 13, 24. But David seems to just let this whole thing go by. Imagine now what's going on in his household. His one son rapes his daughter and he just gets angry about it. And he doesn't do anything about it. You say, well, what about the other kids? Well, listen to what it says about his son Adonijah. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. Again, all these references are there before you. You can jot them down so you can look them up later. 1 Kings 1, 6. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Let me read it to you in the NLT. 1 Kings 1, 6. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Now imagine that. No discipline. Now go back to Amnon and Tamar. We keep going back to that story. Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. How did that end, all end up? Do you remember? Now David got angry, but he did nothing. Well, guess what? Tamar's brother Absalom... He decided to take matters into his own hands. And if daddy won't do anything about it, I'll do something about it. You know what he did? You remember? He killed Amnon. He killed him. And guess what? David didn't handle that very well either. Now, I know it sounds like we're being hard on David. We're looking at scenes of failure in his life. And we're seeing that he's a flawed hero. He was a man after God's own heart. Now, keep that in mind all throughout the study. He has a heart for God. He loves God, but he has clay feet. And he's failing here. And in fact, things turn out so bad, David ends up fleeing out of fear of Absalom. And Absalom tries to usurp the throne of his father. Remember we read earlier about him sleeping with his dad's concubines? That's what that's all about usurping the throne, doing it publicly. And by the way, you remember the story from Sunday school, I'm sure a lot of you, Absalom eventually gets hung up in a tree by his what? His long hair. You know, he's, he's, he's Fabio, I guess. I mean, he was somebody. But he gets hung up in the tree. He's killed. And David mourns. In fact, in 2 Samuel 18.33, then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. But it's too late. And if you don't put forth the purity, if you don't discipline, there comes a day where it's too late. And tears of remorse and regret come in your life. A lack of purity and a lack of discipline can be deadly. Deadly. But there's a third failure I want to point out to you. Not only a lack of purity and a lack of discipline, there seems to be a lack of training in David's home. And I'm thinking in particular of spiritual training. Now, I'm not saying that David did not uh, see that his sons and daughters went through the motions of worship and, and that sort of thing. But I wonder how much of his love for God did he really pass on to his children. If all they had was his life to look at, they got a mixed message, didn't they? Listen, beloved, it's important that you take your children to Sunday school. It's important that you make sure that your children are in church. But it's even more important, if I could say it that way, that you be a real Christian the rest of the time of your life. You can't go out and live a fake Christian life 
and think by bringing your son or daughter here for an hour or two a week, that's going to really impact their life. I pray it would. But in reality, they know you better than anybody else does. And they know if the Lord is really the love of your life. And they know if you are real. Now, you don't have to be perfect. None of us are. And we all fail. But they know, are you really a lover of God? And by the way, those things actually go together. Bringing your child to church at Sunday school and living as a Christian parent the rest of the time. Think about this story we've looked at. And I know we've jumped around in this life because we're just kind of picking and choosing and looking at his different sons here. But think about this. You think about Absalom and, and, and Amnon and, and Adonijah and these different ones. These are the sons of, of the man who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I can't help but think about one of the evangelists who was very famous in yesteryear. And he was out winning tons and tons of people to the Lord. But I remember reading sometime along about his life that his own children did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. A lack of spiritual training. And here he is, his family life is in shambles. He's multiplied his wives and his concubines. His sons and his, his children here have gone haywire. And I wonder, David, how much of your love for God did you really impress upon your children? Did he ever pray with his children? This is the man who's a, God, a man after God's own heart. The one who wrote a lot of the Psalms that we love and, and we just treasure. How much time did he ever spend praying with his children? Did he ever tell his children about the great things that God had done for him? This is the man who went out and faced Goliath with a, a sling and a stone. This is the man who was out as a shepherd of his father's sheep and he kills a bear and he kills a lion and God has blessed him. How much of that did he tell his kids? Did he ever sing with them and share with them the psalms of praise that he had written? Had they ever sung to the Lord together? In other words, did he ever personalize his faith to his family? Did they know that it was more than just a religious exercise? More than just going through the motions? I don't know. But it doesn't appear to be the case, does it? But the real question for us this morning is this, have we personalized our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to our family? How much of these things have we done with our kids? Do our kids know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we love the Lord Jesus Christ? I wonder if David's life was speaking so loudly that they could not hear his heart which was beating for God. Because they looked at his life. And even if he did tell them, they still looked at his life. And there was a disconnect. And maybe they thought, things just don't seem to match up. What about us moms and dads? What about us grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles? And the little ones that are looking up to you? Do they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we love the Lord Jesus Christ supremely? And does it show in our lives? And do we verbalize that to them? And do we share with them? And do we show them? And do we instruct them? Do we discipline them out of love? Do we put forth an example of purity before them? And do we train them when they come to church? Do we help them? Do we show them, here is how you use a hymnal. Here is how you sing a song. Here is we bow our heads and we pray. 
Here's how we open our Bible. Here's how we listen to the pastor. Here's how we do these things. Are you instructing them and training them in the ways of the Lord? Let's be wise and learn from David's mistakes when it comes to this whole area of parenting. I want to close with a poem that uh, appeared, first of all, I think, in the Farmer's Almanac. So there's a good chance a lot of you have already read this one. But I want you to listen to what it says. Maybe you remember the words. There are little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do all the things you do, and a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly. And he holds that all you do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up like you. There's wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right. And his ears are always open. And he watches day and night. You're setting an example Every day in all you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. Beloved, never forget, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, like parent, like children. May God help us to be a godly person in their eyes. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank You for recording these accounts in the Scripture. I thank You, Lord, that we know that the one who failed is one who loved You, served You, honored You, and is this very moment with You. But Lord, we know that uh, these things are written for our instruction as an example to us. So I pray that You would help us to heed the example. Father, I pray that if anyone here today has never met the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would from this very moment turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ. I pray your Holy Spirit would convict them. Lord, they would come down and allow us to take a Bible and share Christ with them. Lord, the majority of today's message has been to those of us who already know you. And Lord, I pray for our families and I pray for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and Lord, all of us who have little ones that look up to us and watch us, and Lord, they want to be like us. Father, we've got feet of clay too. And Lord, we humbly ask you to help us not to fall. Help us not to fail in this area. What a tragedy, Lord, for us to be so busy making sure others are right or others know you and Lord, to neglect their own home and their own family. May it be the burden of our heart that our boys and girls and grandchildren love Jesus, know Jesus, and serve Jesus. May that be the prime desire of our life, not the best education, not the best job, not this and that, but Lord, to realize the most important thing is their spiritual life with you. Those other things are fine and good. But the most important thing is knowing that they know you 
and love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, I pray if anybody today is struggling and maybe they're looking at their life right now and they've seen some areas or maybe regret, that, Lord, you would minister your grace. Lord, that even at this time they would seek your forgiveness and reach out to children and grandchildren and, Lord, to do the very best they can with your help to make sure that they are a positive example for Christ from this day forward. And I pray for those with really young children. Lord, many of them have already dedicated their children to Christ and ultimately dedicated themselves. I pray your blessings upon them. In the throes of busyness and the, the demands of life, may we never get so busy we miss out on the most important things, and that is shepherding our children to Christ. Bless them this invitation time and bless them the things to follow. And they give you glory and praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn for this part of the service is 309 and the altar is open. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to share Christ with you. If you need to come and pray or you'd like us to pray with you, we'd love to do that. As we stand and sing 309, the one getting baptized, you can go ahead and slip out and we start singing and start getting ready for that baptism. And uh, we would ask you after we're done singing the invitation hymn, we'll be seated and uh, we'll continue our service. But right now our focus is upon what God is saying to our heart. 309, as we stand and sing, Lord, I'm coming home. So you come and pray as God leads you. 309, Lord, I'm coming home. Mm -hmm.